This podcast is sponsored by Canoe Club. Canoe Club has been one of my favorite retailers for such a long time, so it's a real honor to have them sponsoring the pod. If you're unfamiliar with Canoe Club, it's a retailer based out of Boulder, Colorado that carries brands such as Engineer Garments, Visvim, Capital, Nanamika, Levi's, Orslo, Friends of the Pod, Marnie, Solomon, and Popeye Magazine, and so much more. They have such an incredible assortment, ranging from under-the-radar emerging brands to beloved heritage brands. I had the founder of Canoe Club, Timothy Grindle, on the podcast, which I'll have linked in the description if you're interested in learning more about the retailer. I'll also be showcasing some of my favorite pieces on the Fashion Collective Instagram, as well as in the weekly newsletter. The team over at Canoe Club has been very kind to offer a 15% discount code for all the Fashion Collective podcast listeners. Use code Fashion Collective 15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, it is Fashion Collective 15 to get 15% off your next order. The link to the site will be linked in the description for you guys to head over and check out the assortment. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Fashion Collective. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash fashion collective. Hey, how's it going, Nick? Good. How you doing? Doing very well. Thank you again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Because I can start with the intro a little, for a little bit of people who don't know about me or know about Select or anything like that. Uh, my name is Nick Ayala, born in Indiana, went to Indiana, and I own the vintage clothing stores select stock. We have an outpost in Indiana, my, in my college town of Bloomington, uh, one in Boulder, Colorado. And then the most recent one is in the East Village in New York City. But growing up, especially when I was younger, being from Indiana and being from the Midwest, there's not a lot of people who are into fashion. Uh, I was always very interested in being unique and kind of having my clothes kind of help, you know, describe my personality, your outfit kind of being a, you know, kind of showing who you are and what you're into and what, you know, what your interests are. So I was always really into that. Um, I was super into shoes growing up as a kid in Indiana. Basketball was huge for me. So I think in junior high, I started playing basketball, like, you know, seriously. And I was really into like the Indiana Pacers and stuff like that. So I was into Jermaine O'Neal had his own like signature shock that I was, I thought was super cool. I started collecting shoes, like, you know, most young kids do from like 10 to 13. I was on like Nike talk and stuff like that, which is like a sneaker form that it's still out there, but I don't know how much it's trafficking now, but I was into shoes and I started collecting shoes. I had older brothers too, who were kind of into it as well. So they got me into it. And then the shoes kind of snowballed into clothes as you know, you want to put a whole outfit together. And growing up in Indiana, there wasn't a lot of options for clothes. There was, especially in my hometown, our mall was terrible. So we'd have to go to like Fort Wayne or Indianapolis or Chicago or shop online. So there wasn't a lot of options for me to kind of explore that avenue and kind of show off my personality. And that's really kind of what drove me to eventually open up my own vintage store. And it was, we had some sneakers to start um, in Bloomington when I first opened that store, but that, that kind of, you know, snowballed into, you know, I need to bring the stuff I like to, you know, people who are like me in Indiana who, you know, go to college at IU and are into this stuff, kind of create a place for them to go to see stuff 
that they're interested in. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned, it definitely feels like a full circle moment. I mean, we have a very similar background and in terms of coming up in Indiana and, you know, really not feeling like there's too many places that had things that we were interested in. You know, your store was definitely one of the places that I went to heavily while attending IU and definitely one of my most like fond memories of while being in college. So definitely thank you again for you know coming on the podcast and definitely want to get into your whole journey. Moving into you know the next segment, style ethos, how would you describe your personal style? So for me, I think, especially living in New York, uh, and I've, I kind of always have been like this. I'm very uniform. I'm a uniform dresser, right? You hear that a lot where people will describe their personality as like, yeah, I kind of put a uniform on. I kind of always wear the same kind of outfit and I kind of have some essential pieces that I rotate. Uh, I, especially in living in New York, I always have one jacket in the winter specifically that I wear like nonstop. Um, I'll, I'll get, and that's kind of how I am where I obsess around one thing and then I build my uniform outfit around it. Being a vintage store owner, I'm usually going to have a vintage t-shirt on. Um, I have had you know hundreds of t-shirts before in my life and I've kind of rotated out a lot of them, um, but I really only wear like 10 shirts, especially doing this like as my full-time job. There's only so many, you know, t-shirts you can have that kind of make sense and you know, I don't, I'm not really a loud dresser. I usually am. I have pretty tame stuff on. I love black t-shirts, like a vintage black t-shirt that's well worn in fits well. There's nothing better in my opinion. I'm usually going to have a black t-shirt on. I'll have a jacket on. Uh, like I said, in New York, I always have either like right now I'm wearing a, um, I have my Nike Steinfeld like varsity jacket on. Um, this is a jacket that I wear all the time. And if you see me in New York or in anywhere else, I probably will have it on. And if it's really cold, I'll have like a, you know, a North Face 700 puffer jacket on. I have like a vintage nice. purple one that I wear nonstop just because it's this bright purple that you don't really see. Um, a lot of the newer ones are like that darker uh, Concord purple. And I have like this bright purple one from the 90s that I love. So I'm always wearing that. Um, I'll wear like the same pants. I have like five pairs of pants I probably wear. But in the winter, I definitely am a guy who will wear the same pair of pants for a week, put them in the closet and bring out the, the next pair and just kind of kind of roll with it. Right now I'm wearing like some unique look, like kind of like the cargo pants or like the kind of the military style pants that they recently did last season. They're like nice. olive color. Um, I like greens, like olives and neutrals. So I, I wear these all the time. I always have a hat on. Um, people think I'm bald. Uh, I have like, a pretty, I don't know. I have like, decent hair, I think, but <laughs> something, something about a hat is very comfortable to me. I don't know why I've always been like that. Like even in high school, I used to always want to wear a hat. And my mom was like, you know, you know, when you get a full-time job and when you're, you're working, you're not going to be able to wear a hat every day. It's just funny. Cause I, I do wear a hat every day. So right. it's, Same. uh, yeah. And then I, I like I used to be super into shoes, like I was talking about earlier. But as I've gotten older, and as I've, I don't know, I, I sell stuff for a living, right? I'm, I sell clothes and things for a living. I, I've always, and I've always thought, like, why do I need so many shoes when I when I only wear a couple pairs? Like I, I used to have like fifty pairs of shoes, and I would wear five pairs max, maybe. So I have like four or five pairs of shoes that I actually wear. I probably have ten p- pairs of shoes now. I used to have so many, but it's, it's, I wear the same shoes for like six months. Like on every day yeah. I'm wearing them and I kind of wear them out. So very What's like rotation. So right now um, I, I had like, I think in November of last year, I bought two pairs of Solomon XT sixes, like a white pair and then a black pair. And I wore those constant, like, you know, for months at a time, I got them in November I wore them all of November and December. And then December, I went to Greece and I was traveling a lot and I was just like beating them up. I got back to New York and the inside of the shoes are like ripping. It's been like two months of wear. Like like the really? collars, yeah, they're like <laughs> shredded. And I'm like, am I just too rough on shoes? Do I weigh too much? Like what is going on? Um, so I've kind of like rotated those to like, if I'm going to the gym, I'll wear those because they're like, they're like literally shredded. Um I wear a pair. Of, I have like a couple of pairs of New Balance 990s that I wear, like a gray pair, like a V4. I have an engineered garments black pair that I got from Canoe Club, actually. Um, but I've, nice. beat, I've beaten those up so much, too. They're like my dog walking shoes, right? I just like slip them on 
when I'm in and I'm walking my dog. Right now, I'm wearing like probably my favorite shoe of one of my favorite shoes of all time. It's uh, it's Pusha T's first Adidas that he did. It's like the Adidas King Push EQT ninety three. Um, very like underrated. Very yeah, it's underrated. very it's very random, and you don't really see him a lot. But it's like this off white fish scale color. It has like a Pyrex bottom. It's obviously like you know referencing him selling drugs and cocaine and stuff. But I, it's just like a shoe you don't see a lot. It's very comfortable, uh, and I wear it nonstop. This is probably the sh- one of the shoes I've had the most pairs of i've had i think i've had like probably five or six pairs of them uh it was actually like the most expensive shoe i ever bought like when they first came out they were reselling and i bought a pair for like 470 which was was a lot for me because i always i used to sell shoes right i used to like i didn't want to pay that much money for a shoe but this was a shoe i just i had to have yeah where so where are you getting your other pairs from like ebay grailed I do buy a lot of, because I I buy a lot of shoes on eBay, actually. Um, I'm going to wear my shoes, like I talked about. I'm going to beat them up really bad. So I'll get a slightly used pair on eBay and save a couple hundred dollars because I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to wear them. I used to get, when I was living in Colorado, uh, I would get dunks and stuff. Uh, I was really close. uh, My shop there is next to 303 boards. So they would have dunks that I would, you know, get in on the raffle and get a pair every now and then, like the, the neutral colorways. I'd buy some shoes in person there. Now, living in New York, I'm, I live in Brooklyn. My store's in the East Village. I don't get to shop a lot. I'm not walking around like, you know, people think if you live in New York, you're walking around Soho, you're in Times Square, like you're doing these things that if you actually live in New York, you never really get to do because you're you're working or you're doing something. So every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll be walking around. I actually bought one of the black pairs of Solomons at a, uh, a store in Nolita actually last season. I was walking around like on a Monday. I have Mondays off usually. So that's like, I don't want to do all my shopping, all my errands. And I walked into a store and they had, it was like the last pair and I had been wanting to try them out. So I bought a pair, but I would say eBay is probably the place where I shop the most. And a lot of people still aren't on eBay. They're like, I don't know. eBay is kind of sketchy. I'm like, it's not sketchy at all. Like I've been shopping and selling on eBay for 15 plus years now. Uh, it's like the most secure place of all time to buy things or and sell things. Exactly. Like I've been into like finding like Orly. I've been really into Orly lately. It's like a, this like Japanese brand. And I'm like, you can find it for like pretty good prices, like on eBay. Like you can find incredible steals. Yeah. eBay is one of those things that kind of got me into what I do now. Right. I, especially in college, like, like I was saying earlier, I was super into clothes, but I never really thought about, and you know, when I was younger, I used to go to antique stores and thrift stores and I always loved shopping. I loved older things. My dad used to be into like, you know, older music was a huge Santana fan. He liked nineties hip hop. So that kind of got me into that. But we used to go to like antique stores together and thrift stores. And I love looking around shops and buying. I know the actual in-person shopping experience is really special to me. And it's always been, I don't know, fun and like sacred. So that's why I have physical storefronts. But when I was in college, I used to, I was really into like probably my, you know, sophomore, junior year of college. I was super into like vintage champion jerseys, basketball jerseys. I went to Indiana. I love basketball. So I was super into finding obscure, like old champion ones. Uh, Jermaine O'Neal was like one of my favorite players. So like I, you know, I got his rookie Jersey, you know, from when he was on with, with the Portland trailblazers for like a year, like, you know, I'm on eBay late night searching and I find something like that and, and I buy it. And it's one of those things where I would have to delete the eBay app off my phone. Cause I would, be like drinking in college one night and I would buy a bunch of shit and wake, you know, like the next week it would all come in. I'm like, what is this? Like, what did I buy? What is this stuff? <laughs> right. Um, but that's, I mean, the eBay is one of those things where like, you know, I sell clothes now. So like I can always find stuff on eBay that I know that I can make money on, but it's one of those things where like, I have too much stuff. So I could just like be constantly buying stuff on eBay. Like it, it never ends because there's so much stuff. The audience is huge. It's definitely like the best place to buy and sell. But I try to like stay away from it because I'll just spend too much money. I know this can be a tough question, but do you have like a favorite item that you've purchased off of eBay? 
Yeah, for sure. Actually, the varsity jacket that I'm wearing, I I got this one on eBay probably about five years ago now. I had been looking for I it was my first. That's like one of the things I collect. I used to collect a bunch of different things. And as I've had the shops and stuff, I've had to sell some stuff or I've had to reassess my collections. Like, I don't need this. I need <laughs> this is just money sitting in my closet. But I love Seinfeld. Um, I've always loved Seinfeld. Uh, growing up in Indiana, too. My mom was super into it when I was younger and we'd, we'd watch episodes. And it kind of romanticized New York for me, which is like, you know, one of the reasons why I love being in New York. But I loved Seinfeld and I started getting into like the vintage t-shirts and stuff like that. And there's only, you know, you see the same ones every now and then, but there was, you know, Nike did their cast and crew stuff in the nineties. And there's this varsity jacket. It's black with brown leather, leather, like suede nubuck sleeves. It's, it's a wool jacket and it has like the big Seinfeld logo on the back. You've probably seen it. If you've watched Kirby Enthusiasm, Larry David like wears it in one of like, the first season. He has like weed in the pocket. They go to a baseball game. It's, it's like this great jacket. And I had been looking for it forever, you know, scouring eBay. I have like my, you know, alerts on eBay for vintage Seinfeld stuff. And probably like five years ago, one popped up for auction. It was one of the cast members. His name was Deck McKenzie. He was like a stand-in on the show. He was like a FedEx man a couple times. He 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 was a stand-in for he was a stand-in for Jerry. So he worked really close with him. He passed away, so his family put his jacket up for auction. And that's usually how the thing the, it goes with these uh, cast and crew things. They're very hard to get. People don't want to sell them because they, you know, they worked on the show. It's, it's special to them. And this jacket popped up. I was at I had just opened my first store. So I had dumped a lot of my money into the store, obviously. And I was young and this jacket popped up and I think it was like a thousand dollars by it now on eBay. And it was probably, if I had been up for a couple hours and I messaged the seller and I'm like, you know, we, we take, we take 750 bucks. I'll send it right now. Like, trying to come down a little bit and yeah they accepted it um i got the jacket in and that kind of started my collection of the the nike seinfeld stuff and that's like the really the only thing i collect now so that first jacket that i still wear today it's kind of like one of my winter jackets that's probably my favorite thing i've i've ever bought off ebay gosh man that's an incredible story now i'm like really interested like what like books or like music or tv shows films you know, food, pretty much anything. Have you been into lately? I'm a, I, I'm kind of a creature of habit, right? Like I always like the same stuff. Um, like in terms of new music, I haven't really been listening to new music. I've been listening to old stuff. I've been getting into older music. So I've kind of been getting back into records. I used to be super into records when I was younger, moving around a lot. It's very hard to move records. They're very heavy. You have too many. Um, they're kind of, they seem unnecessary. So I've been getting into older older music and buying records again and stuff like that. It's a fun thing to do, especially in, in New York, where there's so many amazing record stores that are close to my house and the store. Do you have a favorite like record shop here in here in New York? Yeah, for sure. I I probably have three that I like to shout out. They're you know great owners and stuff. Uh Human Head in Brooklyn. It's really close to my apartment, actually. The owner, he's he's from the Midwest, he's from Wisconsin, he's a great guy. You go in there and if you're looking for something, you're probably going to find it. They have an amazing selection. It's a huge, like almost warehouse style store. They have a great $2, you know, single section. You can you can find really great stuff for amazing prices. Uh, I went in there the other day looking for like a Bobby Bland record. Like I, when I go record shopping, I'm like, okay, I'm looking for this one record. You know, it's it's something very obscure something very old and if i go to human head they usually have it like immediate i like I'm, i walk in I, I talk to the owner i'm like yeah i'm looking for this record do you have it and he does so that place is amazing uh, i'm in the east village right now academy records is actually on 12th street uh it's where the store is as well it's like the next block over they're amazing um they have a couple like they have two locations in the city they're great always really good steals there and then A1 Records in the East Village. It's like, I think, A and 6. Amazing record store. It's kind of known for like the hip hop and jazz uh, sections. You know, famous DJs still walk in there all the time. 
um, like Quest Love loves that shop. A couple of the Beastie Boys, Mark Ronson, they're always in that store, and it's all it has like the best selection of like vintage, like '90s hip hop stuff. So I'm always in there looking for records. Uh, so I've, I've been really into records. I think living in New York and living where I do, it's kind of like I don't know. It's just like the best of the best, right? It's one of those things where people travel to New York City to go to these stores, and I'm like right here. So it's it's cool to see. I recently went to Greece and was kind of doing some record shopping and it just made me realize how good we have it in New York because the record stores are amazing. Like they're like the best and they have to be the best in the world, maybe besides like Japan and some other places too, but I'm kind of spoiled. So I've definitely been diving into records a lot. I love food too. I've always loved food being from Indiana. Like we were talking about earlier, I used to, you know, I used to like seek out new foods. We, you know, there's not many sushi spots in Indiana, but there was one in Fort Wayne that we were just talking about that I used to love. So being in a place like New York that has the best of the best restaurants and eating out has definitely been something that made me even just want to move here because it's the best of the best. Um, so we, you know, trying new restaurants, there's so many in New York that it's very hard. I love Asian food um, and sushi in particular. They're trying to hit, you know, all the omakase spots that are new and that are popping up. One of our close friends actually works at Sushi Nawazaka, which is an amazing spot in the West Village. He's the sommelier there. And like anytime I can go there, I always try to go because it's such a special experience to go there. And it's the meal there is amazing. So I, I, I'm trying to you know, do more eating out and more, you know, kind of dining experiences while I can because living in New York, you're spoiled with it. But at the same time, I've been trying to save money and I've been trying to, you know, exercise and you know eat better. So I've been getting into exercising as well. I've been doing spin classes nonstop <laughs> because it's like the only exercise, especially in the winter in New York, that really, it you know, makes me sweat. It makes me feel like I got a good workout in. So I've been, I think I've been obsessed with that. I've been trying to do that like four or five times a week. And in terms of like clothes and stuff, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of at a point, especially with vintage that I, I've had everything that I, I kind of want, right? There's, I haven't really been obsessing over anything because I don't know, there's nothing new for me to really obsess with vintage, I guess. I, I kind of, you know, there's a couple of things that I'm still always looking for on am in the hunt for, but I, I feel like I have everything I really want. Definitely newer clothes. I, I'm kind of, you know, trying to get back into that and kind of mixing higher end pieces with lower stuff and kind of, you know, fitting into my like the way I dress, which is like kind of a uniform dresser. So yeah, I mean, in terms of that, what brands are you really into? Like in in terms of buying new, what brands have you been really into lately? I don't know. I mean, I I I've always loved Japanese brands, and I think having my shop in Boulder, I used to go to Canoe Club a lot. So they're, they keep bringing on great new brands and Japanese brands that I'm, I'm kind of getting into. I used to be into like Capital a lot a couple of years ago. I used to try to buy a new piece every time they drop something. And Capital is great. And it's one of those things that quality is amazing, but it fit, doesn't really fit me, right? Like the sizing is very small. It's for smaller people. And I'd always buy like a, the new fleece that came out, which is like, you know, way too much money. And I'd buy it and it didn't really fit me right. It was always smaller. So I love the stuff. I just, I can't really fit into it. So I, I've kind of leaned away from that. I love polo stuff, obviously. So like double RL, I'm, I'm super into, especially being in New York now, like the pricing of stuff. I, I'm trying to make my, my store here in New York very affordable because vintage in New York City is bad. It's like, it's bad in terms of, it's not, I don't know, it's, it's not attainable for most consumers, right? You'll go into a, sh a store and every shirt's a hundred bucks, which like, well, I've definitely sold a hundred dollar vintage tees before, but it's, that's not, that's not what we strive to do. We're trying to sell 20 to $35 shirts. Cause that's what, that's what people will pay for a t-shirt. These The younger generation too is so thrifty and you know, this is vintage. So, you know. It, it is kind of you know intertwined with thrifting of course but they're so thrifty well they'll come into the store and they they'll see a 30 dollar price tag and they'll like visibly like audibly scoff and i'm like that that's like such a good price for that shirt if you walk down the street the same shirt's going to be a hundred bucks in a different store but 
they're they think i don't know it's like they think things should be like everything should be ten dollars in here and it's like i I can't i wouldn't be able to afford rent in new york if everything was ten (laughs) dollars like i don't know it's funny and it's kind of a new challenge for me to kind of because that younger generation is obviously they're the ones who are shopping they're the ones who are on social media they're the ones who are doing these new things it's been very hard for me to kind of pin down like okay what's a good price point because I don't want to offend people, but at the same time, like I have to make money and I know this stuff is reasonably priced for New York. Yeah. I mean, not to name any names, but yeah, I mean, I've been to vintage stores here in the city and some of the prices are like insane. I feel like it's only gone up in the last like year or two. I think it's like gone up like a few more percentage points in terms of, you know, what you're seeing for like, you know, vintage pair of fatigues to like a vintage t-shirt. And I feel like, yeah, you're like definitely priced very fairly for for vintage nowadays which is really great to see i mean i feel like it's like a really great deal yeah and it's one of those things where i mean i i want to you know i want the store to be a place where somebody can come and no matter how much money they have they can buy something right so that's why we've always tried to have like a five dollar bin we have a ten dollar rack especially in new york but we we do have like you know stuff on our wall. People will see that shirt on the wall and they're afraid to ask about it. Like most of the t-shirts on the wall start at fifty bucks, because I've tried to have really expensive stuff in the store before, and it's 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 one of those things where I'll just I'll just sell it on eBay because I don't want to have a shirt on the wall that is a thousand dollars. And there's a handful of shirts that are always going to be a thousand dollars because they're rare, they're sought after. But having that in the store, it kind of you know when people ask about it. I'm kind of like, oh yeah, it's like a thousand dollars. Like, I don't want to say, I don't want to have something like that in the store because it's, you know, it kind of makes makes the store seem like a joke, right? It's like a thousand dollars for a t-shirt. Like, yeah, some shirts are a thousand dollars. It's ridiculous, and I, yeah, but it's kind of like some of these shirts are art, right? It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, but I definitely try to have our New York store like the average cost of something like thirty five to forty five bucks if it's on the floor, just because. That's what people are going to pay. It's expensive to live in New York. Um, people don't have, you know, create. I mean, some people do, obviously, but in the East Village, this is like a neighbor. This is a neighborhood, right? We're not in Soho. We're not on Broadway. We're not going to sell like five hundred ones for two hundred bucks, like some of these stores do in New York, because it's a joke. Especially being from Indiana, knowing how much this stuff is actually worth and how much is out there, it's like, yeah, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't come to work every day with a straight face doing stuff like that yeah which is a really great segue into like the next section which is kind of like rapid fire and just getting, getting your quick opinion as you were kind of mentioning you know what should people be kind of keeping an eye out for when vintage shopping like from somebody as experienced as as yourself yeah i mean the single stitch thing i kind of hate it to be honest um it's one of those things where somebody will come in here and i know it's like it's one of those things where if you're like, if you're new, if you're new into vintage, it's definitely one of the first things you learn. It's like, yeah, you're a single stitch. And, but the, you'll, you'll get people who come into the shop and it's one of those quite, you hear crazy questions, you know, working a vintage shop, being in the vintage shop, but you know, they'll come in like, do you guys have single stitch t-shirts? Like that's the first thing they'll ask. It's, they're not even looking for a particular type of shirt. That's just like, do you have single stitch shirts? And I'm like, yeah. We have a lot of stuff from the 80s and 90s. If you look on the racks, there's going to be a ton of single stitch t-shirts. So that's kind of what we buy. You know, it's well, it kind of comes with the territory, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything, right? It means. Yeah, do you ass- do you assume that they're trying to resell, or what do you think? I don't. I think it's one of those things where they think if it's single stitch, it's somehow cooler or worth more money, which is not always the case. There's so many shirts that people made, obviously, in the 80s and 90s that are not worth anything. They're not even cool shirts. They're just, you know, a vintage blank that somebody printed something on. And yeah, it's a single stitch shirt, but you know, if it's a, a shirt that says like, you know, world's best grandma and it's single stitch, like some, do you think that's worth a hundred, you know, a hundred dollars? Like, no, it's a $5 shirt. Um, definitely. Sometimes people will come in here and they're looking to resell stuff. That's fine. I, you know, I encourage it i'm like yeah please buy as much as you can if it's just free if you could you make want to make money on it that's that's cool too um i think people just get too caught up on it there's lots of other ways to date things if you're looking for something older or if you're looking for something valuable i mean the tag information obviously is huge uh, any copyrights on the shirt just the shirt in general um the quality of the shirt 
Um, but people get like way too, there's, you know, there's double stitch shirts from the nineties, right? There's it just, it, it matters about the blank and stuff like that. I've had a lot of expensive shirts that are in my collection that are from the nineties that are double stitched, but somebody might see it and like, Oh, is this a new shirt? Like, no, it's not a new shirt. So that, and the single stitch thing really, really gets to me. Um, the quality of stuff is how, if you're, if you're new into vintage shopping and you kind of want to, you know, if you're looking for 501s, or if you're looking for stuff like that, really look at the shirt, feel the quality. Some people like that hundred percent cotton feel. Some people like the older, like thinner feel like the poly 50, 50, um, day. It's always been, if you're vintage shopping, look for something that you have some connection to. That's why I love this because everything that I buy that I'm trying to sell for the store, I hope that somebody has a connection with it. So that's why I love like date specific stuff. I love concert t-shirts with a date on it, like a year, because somebody might come in, oh, that's their birth year. Or that's like the year they went to their first concert. There's always some connection that somebody draws to that shirt that I might never have, you know, have come to that conclusion myself. And that's why I think it's cool because they'll be wearing a shirt and it's a vintage shirt. And you have a direct connection to that that nobody else does. And I think that's cool. And that's what kind of is the, the best thing about vintage is that kind of you show these unique personality aspects. Like, yeah, hey, I love Santana or I love Seinfeld because my parents did. And I was super into it when I was younger. Or, you know, my dad's favorite artist was Santana. That is a lot cooler than, hey, I saw this shirt on TikTok. Uh, some cool like celebrity wore it. So now I want to wear it. Right. There's no, conne- there's no connection there, right? That's a huge thing, thing of mine too that bugs me. But it's it's one of those things where the internet is great, but at the same time, I hate it. Like I I I obviously use Instagram. We pump Instagram for the stores and stuff to get the word out. But I do not like being on Instagram personally. It's <laughs> like another great segue into just like the main part of the interview. You know, moving into just like those initial days of kind of starting and launching select in Bloomington, you know, how were those early days? Like what were some like initial hurdles you had to like overcome with opening the shop? I think I was talking about, I was super into clothes when I was younger and I was, I always loved stores and I thought having a store would be very cool. I think, you know, I, I still think that obviously I love stores, but when I was younger, I was like, I really want to have a store. Like when I was 10, I wanted to have a store presentation in college, you know, of a, uh, a fictional store called Nick's Kicks, right? <laughs> Which is, I used to love shoes. So like, you know, I was, that was really into it. But when I was opening that first store, I was working uh, corporate for Toyota. I, you know, I went to the Kelly School of Business in Indiana and growing up in Indiana, the goal was, right, get good grades in high school, get into a good college, get good grades in college, get a good job, buy a house, get married, you know, like the traditional like American Midwest dream, right? Is to have a white picket fence and do all these things. But as I got that first job, I interned um, there in college and I accepted a full-time job. It was a great company. I was at like the R&D headquarters in Michigan. I got paid great, um, like 60 hours a week. I was on a computer the the whole time, you know, doing Excel spreadsheets, running copies, sitting in meetings, taking notes. And it was, it wasn't fulfilling at all for me. Um, and I, I guess one of the, one of the really wake up, like wake up calls for me was I had a coworker uh, who had, who had had the same exact career path as me, or, you know, I guess my short career path. He went to Indiana. He went to Kelly. He worked at Toyota right out of college. And he would work there for 20 years. So I could kind of see myself in 20 years through him. And every morning when I talked to him, I could just tell he hated being there. He hated his life. Like, <laughs> and he was such a, he was such a nice guy and stuff. But I, you know, every morning I was like, you know, good morning, Aaron, Aaron, how you doing? And he would be like, well, I'm here today. You know what I mean? You could just see there was like nothing behind his eyes. And I was kind of already feeling that um, when I was working there. So my main goal was, okay, I'm going I'm to save money. I'm going to quit and I'm going to open the store. And I, I kind of started to plan it while I was working at Toyota, trying to come up with a name for the store. I was looking at Zillow, right? I was looking for commercial real estate always at the office, which not a good idea to do probably. <laughs> but, um, and I found something, um, well, I, I don't even think I found anything on Zillow, but 
our office closes for like, we closed for like two to three weeks in December. A lot of my coworkers were from Japan, so they would go back to Japan. And I got to go back to Indiana for like Christmas and the holidays. I love Bloomington. So I went down to Bloomington uh, with my mom, actually. I think we were like kind of scouting spots because I you know, always had that in the back of my mind. And I was prepping to open that store. So I was like saving money. I was buying product. That first store had shoes. So I was buying people's shoe collections. And if the shoes were kind of the stuff that I like too, because I've always tried to sell stuff that I you know, think that I would wear myself. I was buying stuff, um, kind of just looking for a, a spot to make it happen. Found a spot on Indiana Avenue. It hadn't went on the market yet. It was right next to Buffalo's, which is like one of my favorite restaurants in college, chicken wing joint. The go-to. Um, the go-to. I, I went there way too much in college. Uh, but yeah, and I, this spot was the tiniest spot tiniest storefront you could possibly have it was like 250 square feet no bathroom no storage space it was connected to the restaurant my back door went straight into their kitchen but i saw this spot and i saw the potential of it just being in it's like the mecca of foot traffic right it's next to like the most popular starbucks indiana actually owns the building right so it's like it's like on campus as you can get for a store and yeah, so in, like Indiana owns all those buildings, and like Buffaloes pays rent to Indiana, and then I paid rent to Buffaloes, kind of like a sublease almost. But so I found this spot; it was tiny. They told me the price, and I kind of just I signed. I hadn't quit my job yet or anything, um, and I went back to Michigan, put my two weeks in, and kind of just moved my life back to Indiana to Bloomington to open that first store. And I think the main one of the main obstacles. Um, opening up that first store was there was nothing like it yet in, in, in Bloomington. So there was no blueprint, right. For how to do it really there. But I kind of knew it would work because it was something that Bloomington was missing. Right. There wasn't a place to shop. There was the mall, which was terrible. And then I don't know, like jail waters on the square. Right. They had like Patagonia stuff. There, there was no yeah. place. There was nothing. So I, I kind of knew it would work. Um, but I kind of just, you know, pushed all my cards in, emptied my 401k, emptied my savings, just dumped all my money into that first store. We kind of just went for it. And the first, you know, six months I was open seven days a week. I worked nine to 10 hours a day by myself. I wouldn't go to the bathroom the whole day. I would just like hold it. And if I did, I would, you know, I, I don't like doing this, but I would like close the store, put a sign back in five and I'd run next door to Buffalo's to go to the bathroom. Um, but I kind of just, I was in there every day. I kind of just wanted to introduce this new store to you know the students at IU and kind of get people in Bloomington excited about it. Um, but just having that faith and kind of just, I don't know, having, taking risk, right. Is, is like the biggest thing. I can always, you know, advise like, hey, if you if you want want to do something, just do it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, right? Like I had a, I had a degree, I could get another job again, but there's only you only get a chance really to do something like that when you're young, right? Because you don't have any responsibility. You don't have really bills yet. You don't have a wife or a partner. You don't have kids. A time where you can kind of just dump your cards in and say, hey, let's do this. If it works, cool. If it doesn't, it doesn't work, right? So obviously, you know, it worked and you were able to you know, start the expansion. So you moved into like, Colorado. So how is it going from Indiana out to Colorado? What kind of like spawned that that decision to, to move out there? Yeah. So I was working at Indi- in Indiana a lot. Um, and I guess I had friends that lived in Denver. So I would go visit them, some friends uh, from college. Um, for a couple times to visit and there was a couple vintage stores in denver they were like traditional vintage stores where a lot of like 70s and 80s like disco type stuff maybe some old banties gold mine vintage is one that was in denver that's one of the big hitters but there wasn't a lot of stores like mine yet in colorado specifically in boulder boulder was kind of like the blueprint or bloomington was like the blueprint right and Boulder is very similar to Bloomington. It's kind of, you know, Bloomington's very, I don't know, it's it's unlike any other town in Indiana, right? It's very, you know, there's a lot of 
it's a college town, right? So there's a lot of like free thinkers, like you know, liberal people. That it's very open minded. People care about sustainability, and you know, the rest of Indiana, I, I wouldn't say is like that. Uh, Boulder is like that times ten, right? It's a lot of like, you know, people who are, are kind of like hippies, right? And so this store of like a vintage store, secondhand store that caters to this on the college campus, there was nothing like it. And I saw a huge, a huge, like I guess you know, opportunity there to open up a store like that in Boulder and kind of do exactly what I did in Bloomington in Boulder. And I kind of, the biggest, the hardest thing for me to do that was to find a space in Boulder that was affordable. Boulder, Colorado is so expensive and retail specifically is so expensive there. Like Pearl street is the main shopping street where like canoe clubs on and some great stores are on and like a store that I wanted there, like the, the average price was like $10,000, which is a lot of money um, to cover for overhead if you're selling t-shirts. Right. So I, I was looking around and I thought I found a spot on the Hill, which is kind of very similar to my spot in Bloomington, like the downtown college area. It's like just college kids right next to a skate shop. It, it kind of all made sense um, for the spot to be there. It's still very expensive. And the landlord is, he's wild. Let's just say he's wild. But uh, I found that store and I, I kind of just did it again. I was like, I'm okay, I'm all in. Did the same exact thing. I emptied my savings. I put all of my money into the store. And I actually moved. I mean, I moved across country, right? I mean, from from Indiana, I had a couple friends in Denver, but I didn't really have a connection to Boulder. I just thought it would work. And, you know, it did, it, it, it's hopefully working there. It's working, but it's one of those things where I kind of just did it again. I'm like, okay, I, I think this will work here. I think this is cool. I think people will love it. I'm just going to do it. So I actually, one of the hardest parts was for that move is to find somebody to run my Indiana store. Obviously um, I had a couple employees at the time. Bill Ashenbremer was my first employee. Um, he actually moved with me to Colorado to help with the, that second store. And then Brian Sullivan, who actually, he owns part of a portion of the store. He runs the Indiana store and he, I had just hired him. He had graduated from Indiana and I kind of hired him for this job. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to pass this store to you and you're going to run it. You're going to manage it. It's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be your responsibility because we're going to Colorado to try to expand. And if I didn't have those guys early on, I, I wouldn't be able to do it myself. Right. It's too much work. I can't be everywhere at once. And that's kind of the hard part about what we do is, especially for retail, I want to make this an experience and there's only one of me. So I, I need a good team surrounding me to kind of help, you know, with that experience. Made you then ultimately make the decision to come to New York because it's unlike Boulder, unlike Bloomington, you know, there's a lot of vintage here. So yeah, there's, there's so, there's so many vintage shops in New York. Um, I, I think it was one of those things for me of, for New York was, I've always loved New York, right? Growing up in Indiana, I would, you know, I visited New York a couple of times, but it's it's always been this place that was so romanticized and so like foreign to me, right? I grew up in cornfields in Indiana. And I remember being a kid, my parents love to tell this story, but like I was with my uncle one time and we're talking about cornfields and I'm like, corn, corn, corn. There's so much fucking corn here. Like, you know, I'm going to move the first chance I get. And I kind of, I kind of did, but New York was everything that, you know, growing up in Indiana wasn't right. There's more culture here. There's more to do. There's more shopping. There's better there's food options. There's you know, millions of people. There's so much opportunity here that I always wanted to be a part of it. That's like the coolest thing about New York to me is when you're like walking around, there's millions of people walking throughout the city, but they all have something to do, right? They're, they all have their own thing they're doing here. And I feel like to have that and to make it in New York, it's just special. It's always been special to me. So when I was planning on opening the third store, I have a you know, pretty serious girlfriend. And we were talking about relocating together. She was in Seattle. I was in Colorado. She really wanted to move to California. So we were, we were, I was seriously thinking about moving to San Diego and opening up a store in San Diego, which is very different than New York, obviously. But I thought if we don't move to New York now, if we don't try to make it happen now, we're never going to move there. We're never going to be in New York. And I wanted to come to New York to, to open this new store to kind of give my take on vintage and what we do. 
but to also do other things, right? There's so much opportunity in New York. I kind of want to diversify a little bit, get involved with some other things because this is where it, this is where it happens, right? This is where it's going. This is where everything happens. So that was one of the main reasons why I moved here. But the East Village, I wanted to be in the East Village because it's kind of the mecca for vintage shopping, right? When people travel, they come to New York. East Village is a spot where there's vintage stores. There's like 30 vintage stores here. So the competition is very tough, uh, but we try to, you know, have you know, affordable prices. We try to have a good buy. We try to have good curation. We try to do our own thing to kind of stand out. And it's hard. It's been the hardest city to penetrate in terms of the market, obviously. Blooming Boulder, there was really nothing like it, right? So that's kind of the spot if, you, if you're into it. But in New York, there's much. It's very hard to, to kind of happen. But I... And I always envisioned myself living here and like, you know, you know, coming into my own here. And that's kind of why I'm here is to like leave my mark here, but also do other things. Um, that's why I'm here. What things do you want to move into? Like what kind of spaces? I, so that's another thing, like being in New York, there's so much you can do that it's kind of, it's kind of like whatever you want, right? I'm, I'm super into comedy. I love comedians and stand up and stuff. So I've been trying to help, you know, move into the, that space a little bit with like a couple of my buddies who are comedians, um, Emil Joaquim, who went to Indiana. He was always in the comedy attic. He lives in Brooklyn now. And my buddy, Matt, who's actually from Indianapolis, they're both comedians in New York. And we host a comedy show here like once a month. It's like their show. They bring on the comedians. It's great. It's, it's a new experience um, for me, you know, hosting that comedy show and being involved with that. But doing stuff like that, like events like that you know, networking with comedians and like help, you know, maybe if they're looking for something, maybe like help styling them, getting into that uh, field a little bit, trying to find pieces, curating pieces for people. Um, networking obviously is huge. And that's one of the things I definitely want to get into in New York is just meeting new people that have, you know, they might have a project for me to work on. They might have, you know, an opportunity for me to do. Uh, so comedy, I definitely want to be involved with that. Um, I have a business background. And I definitely want to start using that more. I mean, I obviously use it with the stores, right? Uh, I have some free time though. So I'd like to maybe do some side work. Um, and I don't know what field exactly. I need to like brush my resume up and kind of send it around. But I don't know. I'd like to do, you know, it'd be great to do something with a fashion company or a media company. Because I, I feel like I have some experience um, and something to say. And I think I could add something. Um but just doing more work on the side in terms of stuff like that, or I don't know. It's, I've, I've been so focused on opening the store and then now it's open that I, I kind of have just started really to think about, okay, I need to start doing these other things because that's why I moved to New York. So, I mean, this is definitely like, as I'm talking to you now, I'm starting to really think about this stuff to get the ball rolling and trying to get myself out there more. Looking towards the rest of, you know, 2023 and beyond, you know, what should people be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, I think um, with the stores, definitely, I mean, hopefully we're getting better product in the store at great prices. We're going to be doing more events. That's something I definitely want to get more involved with. I want I want to get the my guys in Colorado and Indiana more involved with it, too. I want them to do more of in-person events. Right? We have these communities out there in Bloomington and Boulder that I think are very unique. And I think I want to create a space for people who are interested in clothing and fashion and vintage to have a place where they can hang out. You know, in New York, you see it all the time. There's always an event going on. There's always a party going on every weekend, every night. There's always a pop-up or there's, you know, a tattoo flash pop-up or there's a, you know, there's always something, some kind of party going on. So I want to get more events at the store, you know, and that might be, you know, a curated pop-up that somebody's having, that might be a comedy show, that might be a sale, that might be, it, it's going to be unique. It's going to be hopefully something different, but more events for sure. Um, in New York, like I said, we do like our $5 sale. We host a comedy show. We might do like a tattoo pop-up soon. I know a lot of younger people are into that and I have a decent amount of tattoos. So that could be cool, like a sip and shop type thing. Um, I want to start getting more into our own, clothing line you know if that's product drops for us you know in a perfect world i'd like to drop something every month um but like manufacturing and stuff you know sometimes that's tough 
our five-year anniversary in Indiana is next month, um, which is really important to me to have that shop for five years. So we're going to do some product drops for that. Huge sale um, and a celebration for that. Hopefully a party in Bloomington for that as well. Uh, and then, you know, maybe some, you know, collabs and kind of partnerships going forward as well for us this year. Um, like I talked about, I really want to do something with Canoe Club out in Colorado. I'd like to partner with more people here in New York as well. And I'm trying to work on that. But just getting the word out there more, um, especially in New York, we're still new here. We, it's been a year and a half here. The shop is still new. People are still finding out about it. Uh, so just spreading the word, getting more people in the shop, more eyeballs, meeting more people. Yeah, and it's kind of growing that brand. Um, so yeah, just keep growing the brand. 23. Crazy to think, five years. That is insane. Yeah, like there's, there's kids I know that just graduated that had select their whole four years, right? They had that shop there, their whole college experience. And I think that's great. I love that. Um, and I, I would love to have that store there forever, right? I would love to have that be a part of Bloomington. Because I really think that is important to like, especially for me growing up in Indiana. Indiana was the only school that I applied to. Like I'm going to Indiana. That's, you know, I'm, that's where I'm going no matter what. Um, but having something added, hopefully, to that experience of, you know, being a student that went to Indiana is the most important thing to me. Like this past year, I went back for homecoming and I, I gave a speech at the Kelly School for an entrepreneurship class. Doing stuff like that means so much more to me than these little like things along the way that, you know, you might get an article here, you might get a shout out here, you might get, you know, a celebrity buy, you know, something from you that they wear, like doing stuff locally like that, that it means so much more to me because I was a kid who went to Indiana, you know, and the, the, I don't know. And now I'm talking to students who are, you know, it's, it's like a full circle moment for me. Um, so that stuff has always been special. And yeah, five years is, it's crazy. I feel like I'm getting you know, older now and I'm like, I'm kind of changing a little bit and you know, it's just fun to look back on and see where I started and where I am now and like the whole journey. Yeah. As you mentioned, that's definitely like a full circle moment. I mean, for anyone who grew up, you know, in Indiana near the Bloomington area or went there for school, definitely saw select as like a fixture in that kind of like clothing community, fashion community, because it's really like one of the few places, the only place to really find that kind of level of like curation and have that kind of perspective on fashion so thank you again for you know coming on the podcast yeah of course i thank you for having me on i was super excited to you know talk to you and kind of let you know let your audience know a little bit more about us and kind of my my story so i really appreciate you having me on